The scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 43. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is dead, is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, get up. And immediately, the little girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. And at this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of God for the people of God. Please play with me. Holy God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. In 1985, Natalie Sleeth, a composer of choral music and hymns, wrote an anthem that she dedicated simply to Ron. Ron was Dr. Ronald Eugene Sleeth, a professor of homiletics or preaching, and he taught at many well-known schools of theology, including Garrett Evangelical, Wesleyan, Vanderbilt, Perkins, and Isla School of Theology, which is right down the road. That's where I received my Master's of Divinity, there at ILIF. And every year, a student receives the Ronald Sleeth um, Award in Preaching, and I was so privileged to receive that award in 2006. Natalie wrote this anthem, this new hymn, in 85, right after Ron had been diagnosed with cancer. And he sadly passed away weeks after its premiere. We actually sang this hymn last week. I don't know if you remember it. And in an error of editing, that's what I'll call it, really I just forgot to put the words on the screen in the PowerPoint, we had to look at our hymnals instead of the screen last week to sing this. And at one point, Lauren realized I didn't have a hymn, and so he, he was leaning over so that I could see the words, but I know them by heart. They are words that have gotten me through many dark days sustained me in times that have seemed dark and heavy. The words of number 707 in our United Methodist hymnal, the hymn of promise. In the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree, in cocoons a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be free. 
In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. The hymn of a promise, it's a promise of renewal, of recreation, of new life, even in the midst of death. Our scripture today reveals a story of the agony of impending death. As a father who is named Jairus runs to Jesus and throws himself on the ground in front of him to plead for healing for his dying daughter. Jairus is overcome with grief. He doesn't know what to do. And even as a leader in the synagogue, who typically would look down his nose at the likes of Jesus, this rabble rouser who is roaming the land, teaching new ideas and associating with people who are unclean, on the margin, undesirable, Jairus. This wealthy man who has power and privilege and anything that he could want is at a point of desperation and is grasping at anything that might help his little girl, only 12 years old. His child, whom he had held in his hands as a baby, who he watched grow and play and learn, who is now struggling to live, and he cannot bear it. He doesn't care who sees, who judges his choices, who will rebuke him from associating with one such as Jesus. He frantically and urgently wants his dying daughter to be granted new life. This plea from Jairus comes earlier in the chapter 5 of Mark than we heard today. Um, Don started reading in verse 35. This is back in 21. And the chapter goes on to describe that as Jesus says, okay, Jairus, lead me to where your daughter is. And as Jesus follows Jairus through this crowd of people that has gathered, there is a woman in the crowd who is trying not to draw attention to herself. As she keeps her head down and attempts to get as close to Jesus as she can. This woman, we are told, has been bleeding for 12 years, as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. 12 years of endless hemorrhaging, which has rendered her ritually contaminated. She is not allowed to be in the midst of the community. She should not even be in this crowd that she's in, and if others knew her condition, they would push her to the side, lecture her as to her status and lack of privilege, and leave her in the dust. And so she creeps, stealthily, yet steadily, 
eyes downcast, determined to make her way to the one who has been rumored to heal. She doesn't want to say anything. She doesn't want to be noticed. She doesn't want to articulate her desperate prayer, but quietly. She suffers from her bleeding and her isolation, her physical pain and her loneliness. If only, she thinks, she can just reach out to touch the hem of his robe, Maybe that would be enough to end her torment, her agony, to revive her enough to be brought in from the graveyard of her exile to the living homes and streets and marketplaces and temples of the living community. But her clandestine quest is rudely made public when her fingers brush Jesus' cloak. Immediately, she feels a rush in her body as the blood stops flowing. But even before she can sigh with relief, Jesus stops and turns around wildly asking, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? The disciples, as they often do, look at each other in confusion. Uh, Jesus, we're in the midst of a crowd. Everybody is jostling everyone else. But Jesus is undeterred and continues to scan the crowd because he felt that power had gone from him. The woman, suddenly brave with her newfound health, drops to Jesus' feet and tells him her story. Daughter, he says, it is your faith that has made you well. But before this gift of new life can be celebrated, someone runs up to say that Jairus' daughter is now dead. Which is where we heard the scripture story begin. We have two daughters, one outcast, one highly privileged. One with no family and one with a loving, embracing family. One quiet and timid and one with a paternal advocate. One who throws herself into the dust at Jesus' feet and one who throws, has someone throw themselves in the dust on her behalf. One living a metaphorical death and one approaching a physical death. Both deeply loved and valued by Jesus, both eager for new life. And Jesus offers new life to both. What is striking to me and what I was thinking this week as I chose only a portion of the scripture to be read in worship was that the story of the healing of one daughter is powerful. But the story of the two daughters is life-giving. No matter who you are, no matter the nature of your grief, you matter to Jesus. This is what the story tells us. 
Whether you bring your cares to Jesus in loud sobs of lament or in a silent, unobtrusive hand held out, you are cared for and worthy of healing in the eyes of God. The one thing, the only thing that is required is the reaching. The desire for the old to be gone and the new to take its place. To the bleeding woman, he said, your faith has made you well. And to Jairus, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus confirms that it is the faith, the belief that Jesus can heal that allows Jesus to heal. It is the transition from death to life. Barbara Brown Taylor writes in her book, Speaking of Sin, the Lost Language of Salvation, this. To measure the full distance between where we are and where God created us to be. To suffer that distance, to name it. To decide to not live with it any longer. That is the moment we know we are dead and begin to decide who we will be tomorrow. I'm going to read again. I think it's good to measure the full distance between where we are and where God created us to be, to suffer that distance, to name it, to decide not to live with it any longer, that is the moment we know we are dead and begin to decide who we will be tomorrow. Whether we run to Jesus or creep on our knees, Jesus can heal us from our suffering, physical and mental, guilt and shame, sorrow, with the gift of new life. In our end is our beginning, In our time infinity, in our doubt there is believing, in our life eternity, in our death the resurrection, at the last a victory, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.